Well, good morning, Orangewood. Great to see all of you and our kids running off. Um, we're in Matthew 28 today. Um, as you are standing, we stand out of the reverence and the authority of God's word to us, that he would speak to us today and to our personal lives and to his church. And so uh, please follow along as I read from Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before you take a seat, would you pray with me? And so gracious Father, would you meet us again today as your church? We bring our unique stories. We, we, we bring the, the situations of our life, the things that we want to forget, the things that may worry us and consume us today. Um, we bring our joys into this room. We, we, and so as best as we're able, we bring ourselves to you to hear from you today. And so, Spirit, would you use these words of mine to apply them to your people uh, that have gathered to, to hear from you, God? That's our longing, to hear from you and to be with Jesus. And we pray this in his name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, if you are a guest with us today, I'm really, really glad that you're here today. Uh, my name's Tyler. I serve as the lead pastor here. And uh, we kicked off a series last week called Follower, um, looking at this gospel Jesus came to preach about the kingdom of God, that God's presence has arrived and is available to anyone and to everyone who wants to live under God's rule and under God's care and now can if they're willing to follow and surrender their lives to Jesus. That's the good news that Jesus came to preach. No matter who you are, no matter your resume, no matter your bank account, no matter your ethnicity, Anyone and everyone can receive this good news. As I shared last week, the goal of our follower sermon series we're in right now is really to prepare us for September where you will hear the greatest sermon ever preached in your life. On September 11th, we will hear from Jesus himself preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon you will ever hear in your life. And we're gonna go through that whole sermon all next year until June. We'll break it up into little sermon series, uh, but that is where we're gonna be. And I'm so excited uh, for this series for my own life. What God will do in me and my prayer is what will God do in you as we put ourselves under the words of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, as we continue our follower sermon series, we have various resources available to you that may help you understand why this topic and why we chose it. So um, you can actually go to orangewood.org slash follower 
orangewood.org slash follow and find books and resources if you want to delve into this topic of discipleship and following Jesus more. But as we begin today, I have a question for you, a question for you. What word, what word would you use to primarily describe yourself? What word would you use primarily to describe yourself right now? As you sit here, what word would you use to primarily describe yourself? Would you say, I am single, I am a student, I am a mother, I am a father, I am a son, I am a daughter, I'm a banker, I'm a lawyer, I'm a homemaker, I am unemployed, I am underemployed, I am black, I am white, I am Latino, I am Asian, I'm American, I'm Canadian, I'm Mexican, I am poor, I am wealthy, I am a Gator fan. Did you get it out of your system? I am a Seminole. I am a person who hates college football. <laughs> what word, what word would you use to primarily describe yourself? Think about it for a second. Well, Jesus came offering us news about the kingdom. That's what we talked about last week. It was good news. There is a salvation available. Jesus extended this invitation to you. There is an eternal, abundant life with God for anyone who wants it. And it has arrived and is, is available in me. That was Jesus' invitation. If you want it, you can step into this eternal, abundant life with God through me. That was Jesus' good news. But the person who receives this good news from Jesus has also received a new primary identity greater than all the other identities that we use to define our life. That person of the kingdom is called a disciple. What is the purpose of a disciple? That's our first question. What's the purpose of a disciple? And a disciple is a word that you may have heard here and there, uh, but we don't realize the importance of this word to Jesus. We see in our passage, Matthew 28, Jesus has come to be with his disciples. That tells us in verse 16. And then Jesus is talking here in verse 19. And we read this. He says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Being a disciple who makes disciples was a central reality to Jesus's ministry and the New Testament. 
Uh, if you read the New Testament, uh, the primary way you will hear someone being identified is not, I am a Christian. Now, please don't, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I just want to be clear about that. But most of the time, the primary way someone is identified is being a disciple of Jesus. Put another way, Jesus didn't say in our passage, go into all the world and make Christians. He said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Disciples. In fact, Jesus never used the word Christian, ever. Uh, Jesus never said, hey, hey, by the way, by the way, uh, this is how you become a Christian. He never said that. Did you know the word Christian shows up in our New Testament three times? But if you look through the, the New Testament, how many times will we find the word disciple? 269 times. Now, Jesus, he did not invent discipleship. Discipleship had been around for years uh, before Jesus comes on the scene. Rabbis would, would, would bring on these students or learners to follow them called Talmudim. Talmudim. Um, that's what it meant, learner or student. But, but do not think in your mind, learner or student, like we think today of the student who, who crams for the pop quiz and gives the answers back on the multiple choice that the teacher wants to hear. That's not the way we think of student learner. The best examples today of students of Talmudim today are learning from a teacher so that you can become like the teacher. Uh, I have a friend who recently shared they've been studying under a 30-year woodworking master. That, that's, the, that's the image of a disciple. Learning from someone so you can be able to do what the teacher does. And so today, uh, Dallas Willard would say the best word for a disciple today is the word apprentice. So what does it mean for us to apprentice to Jesus? Well, the first point may sound too simplistic for you, but I do think it runs absolutely contrary to our American culture and even in the American church. This is what it means to be a disciple. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Now, I want to make sure you heard me correctly. I did not say read your Bible. I did not say pray. I did not say do a lot of great things for Jesus. Those are all beautiful things, but those are the outflow and the byproduct of our goal of being with Jesus as his disciple, that we would spend as much possible time in our life with our rabbi, learning from him how to become like him and how he lived. We see this actually show up all throughout the, the Gospels. I, I'm shocked how often this shows up, but we see this in Mark 3 as Jesus calls his first apprentices. It says this, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And, and they came to him and he pointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be what? With, with him, with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him. 
There's a saying in the first century, it was a, it was a, it was a blessing that people would offer you uh, as you followed your rabbi. They, they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust. And what, what that blessing meant was uh, in, in Israel, outside of the cities, uh, there were no paved roads out there. It was all dirt. And so you would walk these dirt paths and your feet would be just covered in dirt at the end of the day. And the, this idea of this blessing was that you walk so closely with your teacher, so closely with your rabbi, you were right behind them that as they walked and they kicked up dirt, that dirt would fall onto your feet, that, that you, you long to live your life so much under uh, their teaching, their rule to become like them. May you be covered in their dust. And this is why we are calling this series follower, follower. That's what it's about, that the central focus of your life would be, how do I follow? How do I live my life with Jesus? How do I spend more time in my life with, with him? Uh, I, I read a story recently about a man named Stephen Thomas. You may have heard of this name, Stephen Thomas. Um, Stephen, if you aren't aware, uh, became infamous a couple of years ago in 2011, he was living in Switzerland. Um, he worked for a computer programming company. And uh, that computer programming company they worked with did a lot with cryptocurrency at the time. And uh, at the end of his project, um, the company said to him, hey, uh, we would love to, to pay you for your work. Uh, we can pay you in cash or we can pay you in Bitcoin. What would you choose? And Stephen Thomas said, well, you can pay me in Bitcoin. That's totally fine. So he received 7,002 Bitcoin in 2011, and it was roughly worth $7,000. Uh, today, that 7,002 Bitcoin is worth roughly $150 million. Now, here's where the story gets really interesting. Uh, cryptocurrency now can be traded in many, many different ways. But in 2011, the only way you could trade or pass on crypto was with something what's called an iron key. Uh, it was basically a lockbox, a digital lockbox that you, you put crypto in and, and only you have the password. Only you can get it because they didn't want anyone stealing your wealth that you have now accumulated. And uh, in the process of it being 2011, uh, Stefan kind of thought, hey, this is a nice little thing I've got, but hey, it's probably, you know, maybe it becomes an investment someday. And from 2011 to present day, he moved to San Francisco and a couple other places. And in the process of of all these moves and it not being important, he lost the password to his investment. To date, Stephen Thomas has tried unsuccessfully eight times to open his iron key to retrieve his millions. He only gets 10 tries. After the 10th try, the resources, the fortune is gone forever. So that means he has two more times to try before his investment is gone. You think about it, it puts things in perspective, right? In your life, like you go, oh man, I lost my car keys. Gosh, where, where are those? You know, how, yeah, how, how do I get, how do I find my keys? Uh, what, what do we do with that? Uh, think about all the possibilities of that money. I think about the not only life-changing, but 
generation-changing reality to that kind of wealth. And Stephen had to do only one thing. One thing. Just remember the password. I would have tattooed it on me. Just remember the password. That's all he had to do. That's all he needed to do. To date, Stefan has not attempted another password into his iron key, but he has come to peace with the fact that he has probably lost that money forever. He had one thing to do. Jesus says to anyone that would follow him, you have to do only one thing. Be with me. Be with me. Learn from me. Follow me. Bring more and more of your life into an intimate relationship with me. At the office, changing diapers, cheering on your favorite team, watching Netflix, playing golf, studying for exams, being with Jesus throughout your day. We can bring him our fears and our concerns. We can bring him our worries. We can bring him our joys and our celebrations. We can bring him the things that we keep trying to control and we can't seem to do it. We can bring him our failures and frustrations and he will teach us. We can ask him for grace and how to forgive the person that wronged us. We can ask him for his presence when we feel lonely. We can ask him for his guidance when we're unsure what to do in some situations. Some situations in life, you, you don't have a passage in the Bible. God, God, give me wisdom. Give me your mind. How do I approach this situation? Uh, the ancient doctors of the church, the early church fathers, uh, came up with several practices to help us as, as we try to be with Jesus. How do, we, how do we live in constant relationship with him? And one of, one of the practices they gave us was what was called the Jesus prayer. Um, and and it, in its simplest form, it, it's a prayer that you would say, Jesus, have mercy. Uh, the longer is just, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like we sang in the song, Lord, have mercy. But just this idea throughout our day, uh, as, as much as we can call to mind to be able to say, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on me. And maybe this week, God would invite you to do that in your life. As much as you're able to, to say that, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy on me as I have to respond to a very nasty and hurtful email someone sent me. Uh, uh, Jesus, have mercy that I would not raise the volume of my voice in anger to one of my kids or to my parents. Jesus, have mercy when I come home to an empty house and I am there by myself. Jesus, have mercy when my spouse and I don't seem to be connecting. Jesus, have mercy when I cannot respect my boss. Jesus, have mercy. Where in your life do you need to be with Jesus? Do you have dust on your feet? So a disciple is a learner, a Talmudine, an apprentice, learning to be with their rabbi, their teacher, as close as possible, covered in his dust. 
But the goal, like we said, is not just to be with the teacher. The goal is also to become like the teacher. And that brings us to our second question. What is the practice of a disciple? What's the practice of a disciple? And here in our passage, we see the practice. It says this in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. A couple of months ago, I was uh, at a Starbucks uh, working kind of, that's where I go to do a lot of sermon prep. And uh, I had just come up, I had grabbed my coffee. I'm, I'm making my way to sit down. And as I'm going to sit down, I feel somebody grab my shoulder, uh, just latch on. Um, and I, I turn around and it's a stranger I don't know. And he looks at me and he says, hey, Kyle, and uh, I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Kyle. Um, hate to disappoint you. And um, he said, oh man, I am so excited. I'm gonna be meeting Kyle, my best friend from 20 years ago. And I can't wait to see him. And you look just like him. And I said, well, you know, my name's Tyler and thank you. And he said, I, when Kyle gets here, I can't wait for you two to meet just to see how much you look like each other. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, so I, I sit down and, and I'm trying to work, but I really can't work. I'm distracted because I'm thinking about, man, what does Kyle look like? I mean, gosh, he thinks we look a lot alike. And, and, um, and so I'm sitting there in my head and I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, what, what do you look like? And I'm thinking, man, I'll go for like young Tom Cruise from Top Gun, the first one. <laughs> Um, uh, but like at this point, um, I'd honestly take old top Tom Cruise from like the last top gun. I mean, he looks great. Um, and so, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, you know, trying to work. I'm distracted, but, uh, and I'm, is, is this him? Is he here yet? Is he, is he coming yet? And then next thing I know, I see this guy run off and, and hug someone like, like you do when you haven't seen someone. Uh, in, in 20 years and they embraced for a while. And as they, they pulled away from each other, um, I was finally able like to see who is this Kyle. And, um, and I died a little inside that day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a rough day. Um, I, I thought about it, you know, all, all day and night and, uh, I ate some salmon toast crunch and I felt pretty good and went to bed. <laughs> now, I want to say this. Kyle has the image of God. And Kyle, I'm sure, has many, many great qualities. But I didn't want to look like him. Who do you want to look like? If you are a disciple, the answer should be Jesus. We are taking on the practices and the teachings of our rabbi so we can become and look like him. We're taking on his character from the inside out. We're beginning to have his mind as we look at our lives. God, what, what, what would he do as we look at our money, as we look at our friends, our career, our singleness, as we look at navigating a health issue? But if we're honest, our lives 
can look more like our culture than they look like Christ. And I'm not saying that to be condemning. I'm saying that to say the power of our culture, the power of the ideas from our culture, telling you, inviting you, this is what the good life is. The values that, that, that say to you and me, the way to get ahead in life, to, the way to be truly blessed is self-promotion. When this rabbi calls you and I to self-denial, this is what he says. Jesus' way of life. This is what the good life is. Jesus says this, uh, Mark 8, and, the call, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, with his disciples again, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's an interesting image you actually see all throughout the gospel of Mark that Mark is very intentional in doing of creating this distinction it's all throughout the gospel of Mark. The distinction is there is the crowd, the crowd, the crowd that just kind of hangs around Jesus, listens in with one ear, and then on the other side, the disciples. The crowd and then the disciples. The, 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 those who are there, they're around, they're cheering Jesus on, and then there's those who are saying, I'm going to listen and put my life into this man's hands. How do I become like him? I, I, I don't know how many of you, uh, some of you I know were not alive for this, or some of you at this time were not part of the great evangelical subculture that was the 1990s. But in the 1990s, there was a bracelet that was circulating around uh, that you would wear on your hand. And if you were really spiritual, really spiritual, you'd have like three of them and they'd all be in different colors and you'd wear them all at the same time. And, uh, and if you weren't alive then and you don't know the amazing uh, subculture of the evangelical world, uh, on that bracelet, it said four letters. It said WWJD. Anybody have one of those bracelets? I had one. Anyone willing that you would wear all three at one time? Really? Yeah. Okay. WWJD. And it stood for what would Jesus do? It was a bracelet, a reminder of a vision of a certain kind of life. What would Jesus do? Now, while I think that bracelet had many great qualities to it and great ideas behind it, the, the giant piece that was missing from the idea is that we live in the 21st century and we live in America. Jesus did not. Jesus was a single Jew from the first century. But what Jesus can teach us is how do I become the kind of person who lives out within the character of my own life? You know that, right? You are the only person who can live your life. God has uniquely created you with his image. He has given you callings and an identity that only you can live. But within that unique calling and life, how do I bear God's image as I follow Jesus to take on his character in my life? Dallas Willard put it this way. A disciple of Jesus is one who practices his presence and arranges his or her life in such a way as to live as Christ would live if he were them. 
so this is the question. How, how would Jesus live my life if he were me? How, how would he lead the company if he were me? Uh, how, how would he lead uh, this family if he were me? Uh, how, how would he respond if, if, if I have a boss that I don't respect? How would, how would Jesus live my life if he was a single 55-year-old woman in Orlando? How would he parent a three-year-old? How would he parent a 35-year-old? Those are different, right? How would he pour into and encourage his friends? How would he study as a student for exams? How would he invest his money? How would he be generous? How would he handle singleness and dating in the great city of Orlando? If you're like me, I hope you're saying, Tyler, I want that kind of life. I want to become that kind of person. I want to, I want to be that kind of person from the inside out like Jesus to, to look at my life and to, to gain wisdom from him on how I should live it. But how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, that's our third question. What is the power for a disciple? What's the power for the disciple? We see this actually in verse 18. It says this, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, many of us, when we read these verses, we may um, be in danger of, uh, because we've heard these verses maybe before, that we don't understand the gravity and the weight of Jesus writing or saying this in the first century and what he was referring to. Jesus is alluding to Daniel 7 in the Old Testament. And the king who would come and rule for all eternity with all power, all authority. And so they knew what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was saying. He's informing his disciples, anyone who wants to come to me, that I am the king and I have power over all reality. Friends, maybe you're like me and you keep trying to live your life in your own strength. Uh, maybe you have tried to control everything and everyone in your life. Uh, maybe you paint an image to others that everything's going well, everything is awesome, but inside you're eroding away. Maybe you've tried to hang on and hang on and hang on and you know that you don't have the power to do so. But the good news is Jesus does. Jesus does. Uh, last month, uh, Caleb, our youngest son, came to me and he, um, he wanted me to get, he wanted to purchase a Y-phone. Now, make sure I say, I didn't say iPhone. It's, it's called a Y-phone. It looks like an iPhone and it makes the noises of an iPhone, but it's a child toy that costs $10. Um, but Caleb had just lost like three or four teeth in a row. It's kind of impressive. And so he's flush on tooth fairy money. I mean, as flush as a, as a six-year-old can be, but you know, uh, like any six-year-old, definitely like me, he's gone, he's spent off most of it. And, and we're sitting there at the kitchen counter and uh, he, he pulls out what he has left to show me. And he says, uh, dad, can I get my wife on with this? He has 26 cents to his name. And, and, and I, I have to break the news to him. I was like, you, you, you don't have the resources, bud. You, you, don't, you don't have enough for the situation. Now, me as his, his daddy, I got him the wife phone. I just want you to know that, okay? But 
Isn't this how we usually live our lives? We try, we think, I have enough resources to handle this situation. I, I, I got enough to, 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 I got enough power to get this situation in my life under control. But Jesus invites us to see that the power comes from him and not from us. St. Teresa of Lusso was a, a saint through the years and, and she said this one time, she said, uh, the greatest thing God revealed to her soul one time was that God revealed her smallness. She says, that's the greatest joy that God ever gave me was he revealed my smallness, that I don't have the strength. I don't have what it takes, but Jesus does. Uh, each week, men and women gather in communities of Alcoholics Anonymous to share their brokenness and to be reminded one to another, I do not have what it takes. My life has become unmanageable. In many ways, I think AA is a model before us as what the church should be. I can't, I can't, I don't have the power. I can't change my life. I can't even handle my life. I can't manage what's before me. I don't have the resources to face what's before me, but God does, Jesus does, he has the power, he can help me. All authority has been given to him. I can face any circumstance that comes before me. I can face any work issue that seems insurmountable, any marriage issue, any issue facing our world because there is a new creation birthing within this old and dying one with its old and dying ways. Because there is a new king who is far more loving, far more gracious, far more inclusive than all the old kings who simply wanted to reign for personal gain. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Friends, that's a lot of power that Jesus has. That's enough power to solve whatever issue you brought in here with you today. And Jesus wants to help you. He wants his power and his strength to flow in you and through you so you can become like him. But the question you may have is like, what happens? I, I, can't, I can't reach him. I, I, I feel like there's such a gap between uh, the life that I'm living currently and the life that he's calling me to live it. There's just, just a giant gap there. I want that life, Tyler, but I know that there's so many regrets, so many reasons that I've blown it. How do I get that kind of life? How can I possibly be his disciple? You might be saying that. And that's our final question. What is the promise to a disciple? Jesus sends his words to these disciples on that mountain in Galilee. And look at this, what he says. He says this, Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you, what? Always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I read a story about a pastor who went to Manila in the Philippines. And rather than taking him to the nice areas of town, this, this pastor was taken and shown uh, basically the garbage dump area of Manila. And, and not only the garbage dump area, but that there were thousands and thousands of people who lived their lives on this garbage dump. 
Not only do they live their lives there, they, they've taken all the, the pieces that were discarded by others and they've made houses out of them. Not only um, do they live there, they, they send out their kids to hunt and scavenge for food in this garbage dump. And not only do they live there, but they've lived their entire lives there and generations there and they've never even ventured out to Manila, the city. And, and this pastor was sharing as a, unbelievable as that is that that there are Americans living in that garbage dump in Manila. They're called missionaries. Christians who have chosen to leave their own country and communicate the love of Jesus to people who would otherwise not hear it. And that was an amazing sight to me. People who would leave all the comforts of Orlando to go and make disciples of all nations around the world, even on a garbage dump. This pastor shared, as amazing as that was, it doesn't compare one bit to the journey from heaven to earth. That Jesus made that journey and he knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. He knew what the sacrifice would be and that he journeyed from heaven to earth on a mission to be with you. To be with you. Friends, God is with you. Um, we keep thinking we have to get to Jesus in our own strength. So someday I might have the strength to get there to be his disciple, but God says, I'm coming to you. I will be with you. Do not fear. Do not be worried. Do not be consumed. I am beginning my good work in you. I am turning graves into gardens. I'm bringing resurrection out of ruin. I will make all things new in you if you will follow me. If you will put your life, your future, your past, your regrets, your issues, your family, your singleness, your relationships, uh, the things that you keep trying to hang on to and control and you just can't do it, it's not working. He says, if you will put that in my hand, I will bring resurrection out of ruin. I will bring graves and I'll turn them into gardens because I'll be with you. He says that to you. I will be with you and I'm not going anywhere. I will be with you, our passage says, always to the end of the age. Friends, that's the promise no matter what you may be facing in your life today. And it's yours today if you want to be a person of the kingdom, to follow the king and to let him lead your life. Are you ready to do that? And here's what I know. Here's what I know. God can resurrect your life because he has chosen an unlikely cast of characters to be his disciples through the years. And it, because it has never been about their power or their strength, it has always been about God's power and God's strength because Jesus is with you until the end of the age. Uh, Anthony Canaris summed it up really well. And so I want to read this as we get ready to close. He said this, great sinners and great saints contain much the same stuff, the same instincts that made Napoleon could have made a Paul. Would you have chosen a Matthew, a dishonest tax collector as your disciple or James and John, the sons of thunder? But Jesus knew that every weed is a potential flower, especially in the hands of God. And so he chose Matthew. And so he chose even you and me. We stand as we close.
Friends, all that you need in this life, Jesus is sufficient to supply. Jesus is turning graves into gardens. He's bringing resurrection out of ruin. And anyone who will follow Jesus, Jesus says to you today, this is his promise. I will be with you always. And that's good news. Let's pray. And so, Father, we do not have the power. We do not have the strength. We do not have the endurance. But you do. And Jesus, you have come from heaven to earth to be with us always. And so this morning, would you remind us of that promise? We are not alone. Remind us of that promise of what you can do. Remind us of that great word, that resurrection is underway in us and through us as your people to redeem this broken world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.